You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Worth. I'm here at a special edition Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Jamie Lasanti filled in so capably yesterday, uh, but we have some breaking news in the interim, which is that the Davis Cup proposal, the revamped World Cup type format that passed by 71 plus percent, no less. And we will bring in Dave Hegarty, head of the ITF, and really the man who didn't just spearhead this, but staked his entire position on uh, on this single issue. Uh, big win for him, and uh, this is a big move for tennis, a sport that doesn't always do change so gracefully. Uh, this is big. So uh, we bring in Dave Hegarty to talk a little bit more about um, this historic day. Uh, Dave, I'll start by saying congrats. I, I'm wondering if you feel like Kevin Anderson after the the Wimbledon semis. This was uh, This was hard-earned. Well, certainly a satisfying feeling for the team after working uh, very hard on a project that everybody believed in. So it's, it's great satisfaction. And now the hard work begins. We've got to deliver uh, as we've as we promised and we will. You, you said this was a project everyone believes in. Defi- define everyone. <laughs> no, what I said is it's a project that the team that worked on it certainly believed in very much. Uh, but we had a, a very good outcome. Seventy-one uh, percent of the uh, nations voted in favor of uh, the reform. So uh, it's a it's a great start. And uh, now we <clears throat> have to work with all the stakeholders in tennis uh, to make sure that the Davis come, Cup uh, outcome is exactly as we uh, as we expect. I likened you yesterday to a political leader pushing through a, a controversial bill that uh, there, there was a lot of uh, a lot of lobbying and a lot of debate. This was, you know, we, we spoke six months ago. When you look back, what were the plot points? I mean, what were sort of the, the biggest critical moments in, in the course of this? Well, I, I think what we learned through the, the process was that we needed to continue to talk to our stakeholders um, with the nations because, you know, change is sometimes a difficult thing in, in the tennis world for anyone 
to to want to take that step to make a significant change. So uh, by meeting with the nations many times, going to regional meetings, and we had it uh, during uh, Roland Garros and during Wimbledon sessions with the nations, presentations to update and answer questions. And it's just making sure that the nation had all the information they needed to make an informed decision. <clears throat> so I think that the turning point was was probably uh, in Roland Garros when we unveiled more information where we announced that it was the home and away round. Uh, I think that was uh, you know, quite a quite a big turn for the nations to to give them the uh, you know the security that they had their tradition with with some innovation as well. From where I sit, one of the critical turns was moving this to Europe, where the sports nerve center is really located, and, and taking it out of Asia. I, I think that made it a lot more feasible in terms of fans, in terms of travel, in terms of time zones. When we spoke at Indian Wells, this this was going to be held most likely, I think you said, in Singapore. How did it come about that now we're looking at a site in Madrid or France, which, again, from where I sit, makes a lot more sense? Sure. Well, again, I think it came down to listening to players, listening to the nations as well. And we know that many of the, you know, of the top uh, uh, 18 nations that will be competing in this um, through the 30 teams that, that play off, um, there are going to be quite a few teams from Europe. <clears throat> the last uh, winners for the last few years have been from, you know, over the last 10 years, many from, from Europe. So I think it was in consultation, knowing that uh, that this will follow the London finals. The players are in Europe. They're playing on indoor surfaces. So we wanted to make it easier for the players. And then in future years, we can look at moving to other locations. And when you and I were, were together in Indian Wells, um, we, we laughed and said, Boy, wouldn't this be a great right. a great location? Right. And, and sure enough, um, you know, Larry Ellison has become an investor and very involved in this. And, and certainly there are possibilities uh, in the future for Indian Wells to be a, a great sort of host site as well. What guarantees are you providing that these financial commitments will be met? Well, we have uh, a couple of years of uh, rolling bank guarantees that were put in place. Um, it was very important to the board and to the nations that we have the security that is that is needed, and all that is in place. Uh, and with our investors, you know, with Larry Ellison, with the Cosmos Group, and CMC and Sequoia, uh, they certainly have the wherewithal financially to be able to uh, support the business plan that's in place to to make this a success. Give us a little more sense of how this money's going to be distributed. I mean, I think pe- people have have seized on uh, a you know almost abstractly large number, but I think the other number people have seized on is twenty five million dollars a year to member federations for development. For a lot of countries, yes, that that is really significant. I mean, in some cases, that's three and four times what the current intake is. But how does that get distributed? I mean, does, does the USTA get the same distribution as the pick a country, the the Thai Federation? How, how's this going to work? Well, the money's going to be distributed in, in a couple of different ways. Uh, one is that uh, there will be money paid to the nations for their Davis Cup performance. Uh, and so it'll be uh, based on which group they're in. And, and uh, you know, so for instance, at, a, at the lowest um, group level, three and four, nations will now earn $25,000 uh, as a minimum compared to a very small amount that they would receive 20, today of $25 a million, right? dollars. Tw- so 25 million, right? That's significant for them. 
And then we also will be putting money into development, um, which will touch all 200 nations. And again, some of the larger nations like the United States that don't need as much support won't, uh, you know, won't be accessing that development money, but the other nations that do need that support will. And also we'll be um, putting a significant investment into FedCup as well to increase the distribution of money to nations. And the nations are really the only, um, you know, the, the nations in the ITF are the only body that works on developing tennis. So together through the nations, they, uh, they coach their juniors at a young age. They put on junior tennis tournaments that, that don't make money, that they invest in their players' futures to help them make the pathway to the professionals more possible. So a lot of that money will now go back into that future development, which is something we do that, you know, that the ATP doesn't do as an example. So that's why it's so important for the future of, of tennis. With Davis Cup now uh, having a working model, does the attention turn to, to Fed Cup and replicating this for the women? Yes, it absolutely does. And, uh, in fact, I had a conversation and was at the other day. We had a chance to, uh, to begin our discussions about what we can do with, uh, with uh, FedCop and working with the WTA to do the best thing for women's tennis. So it's certainly a, a big focus for us. And uh, the plan is to replicate in, in some form or fashion, maybe not exactly identically, but to work towards something like this model to introduce for 2020. I credit... Chris Clary for this uh, statistic, which has been uh, trafficked a lot lately. But when France won last year, I'm sure you know, they did not have to beat a top 40 player. That's illustrative of uh, player participation. What what sort of goals do you have? I mean, if how, how many top players would you like to see at the event for this to be a success? Well, I, ideally, we want to have the Davis Cup model be uh, a successful event. Uh, we'd love to have participation like you have in a in a grand slam event we'd love all the top players to be playing and i think that that's our ambition that's our our goal so we will work hard with the top players and the top nations um, on the selection we know from the players that one of the biggest challenges was that they believed that uh, you know they can't take four weeks out of their schedule to play a, a nation's competition every year and this allows them in one week or in two weeks to be able to represent their country, um, you know, wear their uniform and their nation's colors, carry the flag. And, uh, and now with a significant increase in prize money of $20 million, uh, you know, it's a, a Grand Slam-like um, uh, payoff for, for the nations and for the players. So we think that these elements will be a big improvement. Do you feel like there's an element of politicking and damage control and maybe uh, some, some reassurances you need to be giving at the U.S. Open? I mean, it, it strikes me you're, you probably still have some work cut out for you these next few weeks. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I, um, I think that yesterday at the conclusion of our, our meeting, um, I talked about unity in the family. Um, you know, in many, many areas, uh, 50, you know, 51 percent is, uh, is all you need. In our case, we needed two thirds and we had 71 percent. And what I want to do is make sure that the nations come along with us uh, and that those um, nations that may have been opposed to it are going to be supporting it. And I was uh, very happy to see after the meeting that a number of, of the larger, you know, the nations that um, didn't uh, vote in favor came up and said, look, 
we will support this. We will do everything we can. Davis Cup is our you know, nation's event. It's very important to us, and you have our support. Let's work together. So that was very, uh, very positive. I'm watching. And we'll the... do the same thing. Reach out to the other stakeholders and and uh, make sure that everyone understands what we're doing and and uh, tennis can get behind us. What was your response? I mean, I think I mean players have come out. Uh... I think all over the map, but uh, there's been some voice of opposition. I think Andy Murray had an interesting point, which was, let's try this, and we're all open to ideas, but let's leave open the door that we could revert to the old format if this doesn't work. What was your response to that? Why not try this fairly radical change for a few years, see if it works, and then reassess? Well, I think it's like any other change. Uh, You have to make it successful. And I think that with our plans and our vision of what we want to do, um, we will make it an event that the players will want to play in, uh, that they'll enjoy coming to, that they'll um, feel good about playing in each year. It's up to us to make that a success. I think the players for a number of years have been saying we want Davis Cup to change and uh, that you know they felt that we weren't listening. And now we have the mandate with the change. And, and I think the players will... Uh, give us uh, that opportunity to show them uh, how great this new event will be. Dave, I'm watching your uh, readout on our audio board here in the studio, and uh, you, you speak in very measured tones. Your voice is not uh, you know, soaring or falling. You, uh, you, you keep a measured presence. And I'm wondering, this was a real political battle. Um, again, you are speaking calmly, and people who, who know you uh, do not see you as, as a look-at-me kind of guy, but this was a, a lot of negotiating and a lot of navigating. What political skills, what personal skills did you rely on to uh, to pass this through? I, I think people need to know what a really, uh, it's sometimes vicious, but, but what a really involved, protracted battle this was. Well, uh, yeah, what I can say is I think that at the end of the day, um, a person is a person that, you know, in, you're believed on what you do and your history and your past, and you have to be honest. You have to be as transparent as, as possible, uh, and you have to build uh, a consensus as best you can. So I think um, I am a fairly calm person, and I think that uh, at times, there, you know, this became very political. And I think there were people that truly believed that uh, the tradition of what we have was what they wanted. And that was, a, you know, some people. And there were some nations, I think, that it was a bit of a political battle looking to the future and the ITF leadership. And to me, that's the wrong thing. So, but it's dealing with people with respect, hearing their, their ideas, and, and trying to work with them to help them understand what you're doing. And also to listen to them because you'll pick up some very good ideas, and we did along the way, and make some modifications in our in our formula. At some level, this isn't necessarily your problem, but uh, I, I do wonder if you think tennis can still accommodate another world team event a few weeks later, obviously this, this ATP event with Tennis Australia. Do you think tennis can accommodate Davis Cup and a second event a few weeks later? Is there room well, for both? I know that Davis Cup, with its history of 118 years, has a really strong uh, platform for success and for continued growth uh, under this new this new format that we'll have. 
So we feel good about that. Um, I think that it'll be up to you know the, the players to decide uh, uh, about the other competition. Um, you know, I think that uh, Chris Commode uh, has said that it's a bit insane to have two events um, that close. I will be reaching out and uh, to the ATP to have discussions because I think we need to work together for tennis and uh, to have them uh, positive and involved in what we're doing as well. So we, you know, that's part of my plan. I know you have to run. I, I want to point out, we can't even decide whether a tennis ball is green or yellow. So uh, the fact that you were able to uh, garner 71% of, uh, of the votes is, is significant. This, uh, I, I suspect this is very gratifying for you both personally, but also you staked your position on this, uh, on this issue, didn't you? Well, I, th- I think it's important to always uh, uh, be a leader. Uh, in, in my role, I, uh, I have to lead. I have to believe in what I do, and, uh, and I did. And the great thing was I had a very supportive board. Uh, we had unanimous decisions here in Orlando. And uh, I think that that, with the Davis Cup Committee's support, is really what carried the day and helped convince the nations uh, you know, how do you uh, go against what your committees that you've appointed and the board that you've selected, if they think this is the best and they've done the due diligence, it's time to move forward. And, and I think at the end of the day, that was the, the compelling reason for the, the support uh, of the nations. You've been in tennis uh, an awful long time. Finally, wh- what did you learn about the sport uh, spending the last year on this one issue? Uh, well, I... I tell you that a tennis tennis training that has helped me and kicked in. So <laughs> in January, I started to get back into uh, into shape, uh, walking, uh, doing activity, losing weight. It was almost as if I was preparing for a uh, for a, uh, a tournament, uh, a big tournament for me, which wouldn't be too big for most people. <laughs> um, so I, I think that what what I've learned is that you have to really work with people. Uh, you have to be honest. You have to listen to what they, uh, their concerns are, but you also have to put across the points that are important and the reasons for change. This was a big moment for the ITF to make a decision to make such a significant change. This is a historic moment for our organization, you know, a 105-year-old organization making a significant change like this. And I think it's because we worked together and the nations understood the importance and also working with our other stakeholders to make sure that we are putting tennis in a better place through these decisions that we make. We have not finished play in Cincinnati, but uh, we already have a a big winner in tennis this week. Uh, Dave, congrats. Thanks very much, John. Take, Take care. You too. See you at the Open. All right, that does it for this special edition podcast. Uh, Dave Hegarty, thanks for his time. Busy week, big week for him. Uh, thanks, as always, to our producer, Jamie Lasanti, who did uh, such a nice job on yesterday's podcast. Uh, well done, Jamie. But uh, let's, talk a little, let's talk a little Davis Cup. Top line, uh, top line thoughts you have? Thank you, first of all. This was, this was a good, I'm glad Dave was able to come on. This, we talked about it before. This has divided the tennis world. Everyone is freaking out. Um, so it was uh, good to hear from him, and he addressed a lot of the questions I think people had, especially about Fed Cup, 
Um, I think that was an important one. I do think we could do, I mean, I, I do think the next step in this is to involve women's tennis as well and do this uh, jointly. A lot of questions here still. I mean, I think he answered the financing question, which is one question I've heard again and again, that the numbers just don't make sense. And there's a history in tennis of deals that uh, have, have basically fallen apart and uh, tennis was left to scramble when financing didn't work. He seemed very confident about that. I mean, there, there are a lot of questions here, but I, I think the one thing we should not lose sight of, of is the disrepair and, and the sorry state of Davis Cup. I mean, we keep throwing around the statistic that France won Davis Cup last year and didn't have to face a top 40 opponent the entire way. One of the things I thought is really good, and you guys talked about this, was that when we first talked to him before this was passed, we were kind of baffled at the idea that this would take place in Asia. Um, so I, I think, think that's critical. it yeah. was a good step forward that the there will be a European location, centrally, like as you said, located in 2019. I think that's really important. I think it will be good for the fans. And I don't know, the, the home and away is where I'm a little divided. I think it's a good thing. We still have home ties, just not as many of them. So um, it'll be interesting to see... 20. What are your thoughts? Would yeah, you, do you I, think? I just I think there's a lot going on here. I mean, I think some of this I, I don't really buy the tradition argument, right? I mean, wooden rackets persisted for a long time too, and now right, it doesn't discredit that they were you know great right. then. 118 but... years. Well, you know, times change, and uh, the demands of of tennis in this case have changed a lot. I I think the location was critical. One thing we didn't talk about was Davis Cup was basically being used as a cudgel to get players to participate in order to have Olympic eligibility. The Olympics have really risen in tennis as a, a priority for players. And a lot of times, you know, the Williams sisters playing Fed Cup, they don't want to be going to you know, Kokomo, Indiana to play. This was just done so they would have Olympic eligibility. So I think that uh, this format recognizes that, uh, I mean, I, I wish we talked a little bit more about the, the sort of overlap between Olympics and Davis Cup. But um, I, I think that the location is absolutely critical. I think the fact that players know, A, where it's going to be. I mean, there were all sorts of issues before. The U.S. would win, and you'd wait for the other result, and it could be home if Slovenia right. How do you wins, plan your schedule? How do you book an arena? How do you plan your schedule? The surface. All of that we're going to know in advance. I think having it in Europe is critical from a fan's perspective. If you really love the Italian team, yeah, you'll go to Madrid. You'll go to Lille. Right. You ain't going to Singapore. And I think for the players, if the goal here is to get the top players to participate, right? So the current model, unsustainable. You're not Novak Djokovic is not going to play four times a year, best of five matches, uncertain travel locations, uncertain surfaces. They've That's been inconsistent. It, it's, it's, and it's just not a reasonable expectation. Uh, this is much different. I think the fact that the top players, a lot of them will be coming from the ATP year-end event. So they'll be, even if, uh, you know, to Del Potro or Nishikori, Nick Kyrgios, likely will be in Europe anyway. And the other players, it's an hour flight. So I think that's critical. And I do think it's interesting to note where the support came from, that there were a lot of countries that were fairly vocal in their opposition. Tennis Australia, which was completely conflicted, which had basically made its bet with the ATP and uh, had a complete conflict of interest, not surprisingly uh, opposed this. The LTA, um, Eng England opposed this as well. But I think what needs to be said, these 71% of the countries that voted for this, a lot of these were smaller countries, a lot of African countries and, and some of the Latin American countries. So when we talk about home in a way, they're, in theory, the big beneficiary of those. 
And the fact that they were willing to say, listen, we're going to change the format in order to boost our revenues, $25 million. And I, I think Dave misspoke. Let's be clear. $25 million, not $25,000. Uh, $25 million, if you are, pick a country here, if you're the Ecuadorian Federation, that's a significant upgrade. So, you know, I, I think uh, the other point, the, to the Andy Murray point, and I wish, I wish Dave had spoken a little bit more about this, you're not going to get this kind of sponsorship if you go in just dipping your toe in the water saying, hey, let's try this two years. We might go back. You're not going to have that kind of financial right, commitment to... from a backer. You need to be all in. Right. So this is big. And I think that, um, look, we don't know how this is going to go. We don't know. You know Roger Federer is going to be 38 years old when this is held for the first time. We don't know what kind of players are going to play. But uh, we talk in tennis about the need to change and innovate and update. And if, if you're not growing, you're failing. And if you don't like change, you're going to hate irrelevance. Well, this is going to be a big case study. The other thing that I'm, occurs to me to point out is that when tennis has embraced change, so Hawkeye, fairly radical, in the grand scheme of things, you could laugh, but having a tiebreaker, that was a, a big change. I don't see a whole lot of irreversible missteps. Right. I mean, in retrospect, there's some marketing campaigns you do over the ISL deal from the year 2000, which was going to package the Masters events that uh, completely collapsed. But I haven't seen a whole lot of irreversibly bad changes. And when tennis has taken big bets, again, I, Hawkeye is probably the most recent example. It's been a success. So it's easy to get sentimental. I think this went from an abstract discussion. Hey, how do we change Davis Cup to something that suddenly when it became concrete then there was uh, all sorts of pining for the old days and all sorts of trepidation. But where were those voices when we were trying to get Davis Cup to be relevant, trying to get top players to play? I think when it went from theoretical to something very concrete, uh, people said, holy shit, this is actually going to happen. That's where a lot of the objections came. I think <laughs> I think that with this, the one important point is that it's not guaranteed that this is going to be successful. But I think that like it, it is a risk, but I think the risk of Davis Cup in the old format just sort of like fizzling out and dying because there is no change is a greater risk than kind of getting ahead of it and saying, let's make a change. As you said, um, it may feel radical. It may feel wrong right now. It may feel like we're, you know, what did uh, someone say? It was a death sentence to, to Davis Cup. But I think okay. there seems to be a a lot of upsides. I'm I'm curious to see whether the top players will support it. Do you do you think that they will? I mean, we, a lot of the discussion around this has been about the big four, plus you know one or two. Do you think that they will support it? I think they will, and I think that there will be sponsor pressure, federation pressure. Um, ideally, it wouldn't come at the end of the year when the top players are rightly exhausted, but. I think they almost owe it to uh, – I mean, I, th I think we all need to see how this goes the first time. And uh, I, I think the first year will be will be interesting to see. But I do think the first year will draw most of the top eligible players. Um, I want to ask you a question. Because I love – you know, you, you are a lovely colleague. You're a terrific producer. But I also uh, – I think people should know this about you too. I, I think you're a great case study for someone who five years ago – you want to tell everyone what your, your knowledge gonna, of tennis was? I was going to say this to you. I think I represent a weird – sign where like I I probably am too much of a tennis nerd sometimes where like I can fall into that trap of of talking about tennis with people who don't really watch tennis that often and they're like what are you talking about you know because I I was not into tennis did not follow the sport nearly as closely as I do now and 
have really like turned into a tennis fanatic from being just like a, a mainstream sports fan. I mean, I grew up playing soccer, grew up watching the NFL, NBA. I grew up a sports fan. I didn't, I watched Wimbledon. I watched the U.S. Open on TV, but I didn't watch every match and follow players and things like that. So, um, yeah, I feel like I maybe bring a an opinion and a viewpoint of a mainstream sports fan. But, Somebody... I, feel, but I feel like tennis needs a million of you, and I think you're really instructive as a case study that you were not a tennis junkie when we first met. You threw yourself into the sport. You got seduced by not just balls going over the net, but by the personalities and the controversies right. and the fashion. You're, I mean, you This is of... much better than Netflix, I, I will tell you. All right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, A, I ask you, and, and I think you are so, if I'm the USTA, I'm, or I'm McKinsey consultant, I'm going to spend a day interviewing you and figuring out how you made this conversion and what appealed to you and what didn't. But were you, um, was, was Davis Cup on your radar at all? A, as a casual fan and B as you've gotten more into this where where does Davis Cup rank for you I think when it comes down to it and this may sound harsh but only the big four plus a few players can really generate mainstream interest from the typical general sports fan who just enjoys watching competitions and and enjoys whatever sport may be in their town or in their country I think without consistent commitment from those players Davis Cup was never going to gain the traction of a slam. I mean, everyone in the U.S. who is not a tennis fan will watch Wimbledon. They'll watch the U.S. Open. You know, they'll watch all the slams on TV and they get excited about them. There was never any of that for Davis Cup. And part of that, I think, is because of the regular schedule of that that tournament and then just it didn't make sense. I mean, it's it's a confusing thing. It's like the slams are, are... for one, very different from a typical sport where you have a season and then a championship at the end. That's like the typical way that a sport works. For tennis, it's like we have four Super Bowls, right? And it's like trying to really get someone. They always ask. I always a question I get asked sometimes from people who don't watch tennis is like, which one is most important? It's like they're all equal, right? right and so then, right. then they're like, okay, well, what's that fifth thing? It's like for for someone who's used to watching a typical sport, I think it's really hard to grasp onto what Davis Cup is, what the value is to a player when you're not seeing the same players there all the time, um, and how how should a fan plan their schedule around something that, like you said, they don't even know where it is. They don't know when it's going to be. It, it, it just like kind of pops up on the calendar. I would say da- Davis Cup, I mean, t- tennis is very well suited for this global marketplace that we all uh, play in right now. Davis Cup is particularly ill-suited, where you have irregularity and time zones and an uncertain cast of characters. Um, but let me ask you this. So we all agree Davis Cup in its, well, we can now say past incarnation, wasn't working. Um, are you watching this event in 2019, and are you watching it for the novelty effect, or does this idea organically draw you in? I think a little bit of both. I think you have to watch it because it's, you know, year one after this change. But, yeah, I think I think boiling it into the time periods that it is and not making it so sporadic, just, that from the get-go makes me more interested because I know that there will be a time frame I'm going to watch it in. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how the players react to it labor cup is an interesting thing to go along with this i actually would be interested to see what dave 
would think about that. Um, I know it's different timing, but it's another thing on the schedule for these players to think about. So I'm watching. I, th- I think you could argue either way on Labor Cup, that on the one hand, this is awfully similar, and this has a history Labor Cup doesn't have, and it has real nation versus nation, and it's, I mean, the, the distinction in Labor Cup of Europe versus the rest of the world is a bit artificial. Um, I mean, at some level, the success of Labor Cup, I think, was a real galvanizing force mm-hmm. of tennis and top players really have an appetite for this. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see how this impacts Labor Cup. What yeah, I what I think is clear is that tennis does not have, and Dave was political as he probably should have been, but tennis does not have the capacity for yet another team competition, this ATP Tennis Australia event at the beginning of the year. I mean, I, I think Davis Cup... Uh, is what it is, and they got to the finish line first, and I think this really imperils this ATP Tennis Australia plan. Um, I don't think tennis can accommodate uh, still another team competition. Um, all right, let's um, let's do another one of these. I'm, I'm on vacation next week, but let's do another one of these before the uh, U.S. Open, perhaps, when the draw comes out. Um, I will say this publicly. Great job yesterday. Thank you. Appreciate well, that. Well done. You I missed you, though. I was here all by myself in the studio. You were more than capable. Hung um, up the phone and had no one to talk to. Um, you did a great job. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap now. Again, big change in tennis. Uh, Davis Cup passes. And, um, again, for a sport that does not embrace change particularly lustily, this is big. So let's see how it plays out. All right, uh, Jamie, thanks. If people wanted to uh, get this podcast, remind them where they can go. They should go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and keep sending some guest suggestions. Good guest suggestions we've been getting. Um, okay, so for this week, have a good week, everyone.